From Grain to Glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. And this is the best beer show on the internet. Mm -hmm. I like that mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) mm-hmm. Squid hands. All right, before we get too deep here, I want to give a big shout out to the American Homebrews Association. They do a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and now they support us. And the AHA will give you discounts at homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zymergy magazine. Brian just about (laughs) fell over. That would have been fun. If if you are a patron, (laughs) speaking of patrons, um, you can watch us live and watch it when Brian almost falls over on the dog. Oh, my God. What? I totally would have fallen on the dog. (laughs) That would have been bad. He would have been upset. He would have been mad. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornson, Tyler Romanski, Hoppin' Barrel Brewing, Brian Bryanson, Devin Stinson, and Phil Feldman. Uh, if you like being a patron, head over to patreon.com slash or click on the patron link at the bottom of our homepage at blindindustudios.com. And while you're at blindindustudios.com, go ahead and check out that store link um, or head over to teespring.com slash store slash blindindustudios and check out our merch. All right. Um, so uh, before we before we go into what we've been doing, um, I just want to I want to prepare you guys. We're going to get into some technical shit. Yeah, this is pretty deep. Uh, thanks to Bjorn Bjornson, he gave us this. Uh, he he suggested that we cover this article by Scott Janish, our favorite hop guy. So uh, we're we're gonna do that. If um if you are a newer brewer, I highly recommend you to continue listening, even though your eyes are gonna like roll back into your head and crisscross. Yeah, th- this is a lot like um some of the the brew books like Malt Hops, Yeast Water, where you know you you you. And I t- we have a new brewer, and I kind of gave him a f- couple of books, and he said, look, I read 60 pages of that book, and I didn't understand a good chunk of it didn't make sense. And I said, listen, I said, read that now. You come back later, you'll read it again. You'll understand a little more each time. Yeah. So if you want, you know, to you could re-listen to this episode uh, down the line and, and – uh, well, and we've we've covered things that we've recovered as we've understood things more. True, and it's it's all a learning experience. So mm-hmm. yeah, just understand like half of the things we're talking about we don't understand either, and we're just kind of going through. Mm-hmm. All right, um, but yeah, so we have a commercial calibration. We have that. Um, but first, Brian, mm-hmm. what's going on in your neck of the woods? Just drinking all of the Oktoberfests, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, do you guys have an open date for the new brewery yet? No, uh, it is looking more like uh, brewing won't start happening until October, and we're you know be this we're recording this episode at the beginning of September, um, so I may know more by the time this episode airs, but uh, probably and I don't know the it's the work the work is happening the tiles going down all of that stuff, but you know. When when we I've opened what five I don't like four breweries or something yeah. like that and it's always two months later than you think. So I guess this is this is kind of a unique situation that you're in right now where mm-hmm. you are opening a second location. Yeah. For um for another brewery because usually like you're working mm-hmm. on the primary is has there been yeah. anything different with that? Um, lots. Uh, Minnesota versus Wisconsin laws. It's they're not any worse necessarily. Well, they're a little bit worse in Minnesota, honestly. But it's it's um well, how do I want to put it? Like what what hill do they want to die on? In what hill 
they want to die on in Minnesota is different than the one they want to die on in Wisconsin. So there's always some BS that regulation or, oh, they don't care what kind of tile goes in the brew house, but they care what tile goes under the bar. And it's, you know, it's just sort of silly. And this might be like, we might have to do an entire episode about this because I'm kind of curious about certain things like, um, are you able to, I guess, quote unquote, self-distribute your beer to your brewery from the Wisconsin location? No. Or, so any any beer brew or brewed in Hudson has to go through a distro before yep. it can go. Mm-hmm. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you can you can apply for the importer's license and all that. But the um, that distributor already already has that and has already dealt with that and has already paid all that that money and fees. So yeah. But now, like that's that's crazy though that you have to sell your own beer to yourself. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Liquor laws are stupid. <laughs> it's you know I shouldn't say they're they're completely stupid because they're a lot of them are are set up so that it's like more of a non like monopolistic situation and three deer three deer three tier system is I, I don't like to say that distributors are glorified um, delivery services because you know they do. Uh, a lot of the marketing and a lot of that signage you see in, at liquor stores, like oh nine ninety nine for a twelve pack of whatever. Uh, inevitably, the distributors printed all that, mm-hmm. um, and so they spend a lot of money on you know. And in the first year, it's like three dollars off a case goes into marketing, and then two dollars, and then one dollar, and then you know, then you got to kind of come to sort of some sort of agreement on how you know the marketing dollars are going to work and how they're going to spend. Um, so, yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I just had no. That's fine. Questions. That's a whole rabbit hole, and we. You sh- I mean, it'd be. I mean, it would be a fun. Fun if also Justin were. Yeah, here. that'd be a good one. Like uh, um, when you guys resume Hop and Barrel Happy Hour to yeah. get that on. But uh, anywho, uh, I have not been up up too much beer related. Again, mm-hmm. I went down a scuba rabbit hole, and that's kind of where I've been for a minute. That's what he was saying. Uh, <laughs> so I, I apologize for that. Uh, I am still brewing. Um, I just have uh, full fermenters right now, so we're waiting on those. What do you have uh, in right now? Uh, I have an IPA that I'm going to dry hop when I get back from Madeline, because, and then hopefully keg after. Uh, and then, uh, so it's a rebrew of the double IPA. Uh-huh. And then um, we have a Sugar Creek beer, which I need to reach out to them because I'm going to Indianapolis in a couple of weeks, and I need to reach out to them and see if they want to hang out. Hang. Uh, what are you doing there? Uh, Gen Con. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Yep, big board game convention. Cause nerds. I, I I don't I don't know if you guys knew this, but I'm a big old nerd. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> so am I. <laughs> All right, but uh, let's do a commercial calibration, and yeah. then let's really get into uh, some meat. So, because it's been a minute since we've done like a really meaty episode like that, and I'm excited. Totally. So as as we talked about last episode, and as we've kind of mentioned, we're doing this commercial calibration of things that hopefully are available worldwide. Uh, but it's pretty tough because we're going to have to, like I said on the last one, we'll have to broaden our horizons as far as um, uh, f- sourcing this kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, imports are kind of tough to find these days. Well, and we're not, we're not just doing imports. We're, uh, so I think... Um, well, um, unless for, unless we can uh, find Moose Drool, yeah. uh, I think next week we're going to do Lagunitas IPA because sure. that one should be it's available everywhere. very widely. Yeah. So we're doing Young's Double Chocolate Stout, a London brewery, right? Uh, yep, yep. They are uh, they are out of London, um, England, not uh, 
not any other no. state in the yeah. U.S. that has a London, <laughs> which is like every one. Um, this is a stout brewed with real chocolate and natural chocolate flavor added. Um, it has a widget. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, well, for us, it's a 16-ounce or... Yep. Uh, the first time I was introduced to this beer was um, I was recommended to... Uh, we did we did a um, we did a two part uh, beers um, thing on Department of Defense, where uh, it was sponsored by um, Divine Liquors. Mm. They supplied us with the beer and the spoon, and like they. Oh yeah, yep. that was probably um, when old Mister Old Frank Muth was there, huh? Uh, no, that was uh, it was Miles. Really, it was right. It was right when they opened. Oh, Miles used to be. The co-host. Uh, co-host. Yep. That's right. Um, and so we did uh, we did the classic uh, Guinness and Smittix, and then mm-hmm. we did uh, Young's Double Chocolate with their banana bread beer mm. for a chocolate and banana float, and that was really good. So that was the first time I had it. Uh, man, that's just, that's just the story behind that. There you go. So this, like, like we said, there's a widget in it, so it pours nitro. Um, like that, that's what we were talking about. It's a nitro widget yep. for those. So you get that that beautiful like chocolate milk colored head. I'm gonna that's take my my patented beer cap and, try and float, to it? float it. Oh, a patented beer uh-huh. cap. That's new. Uh huh. It's um, floating. Does so? Does the patented beer cap have to be a bass cap, or is that just how that? Or not? Not a <laughs> no, bass. No, that's a, a Newcastle. A, cap. a Newcastle cap from from weeks ago, many weeks ago, and we did yeah. that. Whoa, that that floats better than the last one. I mean, yeah. Look at it. Like the table's wobbling, and this thing is like it's like s- the cap is sitting on jelly, basically. So uh, is that is that a new like BJCP guideline that we have to add? Like yeah. cap <laughs> cap flo- floatability in the head. Cap will float. <laughs> Uh, if you hold it up to the patented beer light, it is opaque. Black. 110% <sighs> opaque. No lights escaping. Blacker than a it's black a, cat's ass. <laughs> it is a, yeah, dark hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, nose, chocolate. Yep, chocolate. Uh, like dark chocolate. It's, it's like baker's chocolate on the nose. Yes. A little bit of graininess. Slight roast. Flavors milk chocolate all the way. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's a fruity aspect to this that's certainly oh. yeast driven. It's almost uh, a little raisiny. Yes, raisin date. That, that not yeah, plum necessarily. No, but raisin. That, that, that dark fruit, that dried fruit. Yes, yes, definitely. Which will come from a, like your caramel malts, which is probably I'm guessing there's a bunch of caramel layering in here. The roast is not over the top, which I think is good. I think that you're using a lot of dehusked. Because uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Cur- getting like a like, carafa. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not getting any astringency. No, from the roast. none whatsoever. Man, this is pretty damn good. It is very good. <laughs> um, yeah, very easy to drink. It finishes incredibly dry, but not in an unpleasant way. I think like non or like. It's coffee that's not astringent that maybe there's a, like a lot of cream and sugar. It's, oh, in. no, this is incredibly cold pressy. Yeah, there you go. It tastes like cold press, cold yeah. press coffee. Yeah, just barely that bitterness way on the back end yep. of the tongue. Kinda, yeah, it hits there, but then like you're like, oh, well, I could use a little bit more. Yeah, cold press nitro. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's the perfect analog. Mm hmm. I don't really have anything else to say about this beer. I don't either. 
All right, well, moving on. We've done, our work is done here. Unfortunately, Brian, our work is just On the <laughs> calibration, I mean. All right. We are talking about hop oil extracts, and this is all based off of an article um, uh, put out by Scott Janish at scottjanish.com, Exploration of Post-Fermentation Hop Oil Expr- Extracts. And we're going to get deep. It's going to be interesting. And just hold on, guys, because certain things about this are going to be a game changer. And this is going to be a two-part series. Hold we're on ta- your mash tons. Right. Uh, we're, we're going to cover um, basically the first half of the article. We're uh, exploring hop extracts, what they are, what they can add, stuff like that. And then we'll get on the second one. We'll dive into his results using specific companies, hop extracts. Okay. All right, so first, what are hop extracts? Um, It's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Their hop oil extracts are exactly what they sound like. Uh, They're raw oils extracted from the plant matter of hops. There's a few different ways of doing it. The most common is CO2 extraction. So we're used to that with, like, hop shots, um, the cans of hop hop Mm -hmm. extract that um, uh, brewers use um, to basically add IBUs. We use that for Crooked Grin. We get it in a can. And it's very sticky. Yes. Very, very sticky. Um, but we're looking at it at more at the end. Of, so right now, they're very commonly used in, or hop extracts are, not necessarily hop oil extracts, um, are very commonly used in, during the boil. And now we're looking at the uh, adding the oils in um, when we would do dry hopping. So why, why should we consider these? There's a few reasons. Um, one, they can be stored in a small container at room temperature for up to a year. Ryan, how important is that for for somebody brewing on your scale, being able to have shelf-stable product that's, oh, that doesn't take up a ton of space? It's uh, incredibly important. Um, yeah, I mean, in, yeah, incredibly important. I don't know. I don't know much well, yeah. So, um, they, you guys have a hop freezer. We do. Uh, actually, like in, like I think in every freezer in the brewery, there are hops. Yeah. There is a a lab refrigerator freezer. There's hops there. There's that big huge uh, hop, freezer. hop freezer that's full. Um, and then there's one in the um, what used to be the break room. There's another refrigerator that actually all the yeast is in, but that. In, but that's in the refrigerator part, but up in the freezer part, more hops. hops. <laughs> so what's uh, what's what's the shelf life on your hops? Like years plural, and years plural. there okay. are deeper, colder freezer situations that you can do like, um, you know, like low, much lower temperatures that you know they can sit in other than in these freezers. Yeah. Um, but also, freezer space is expensive. Sure is, but yeah, your years plural. Um, I don't know. I mean, you you might still be seeing 2019, 2018 hops. 2018 is kind of pushing it at this point, but yeah, um, a long time. All right. Um, the second thing, uh, not uh, you can increase yield by using less plant matter in the beer. Um, so efficiency is raised by using highly concentrated oils and less hops to lower the amount of plant matter going into the beer. Um, all of, all you guys are, or we're all homebrewers. We understand the more crap we put in the beer, the less beer we're getting out. Definitely. And that's, it certainly holds true on a commercial scale and, and on a commercial scale, you could be talking barrels instead of, yes, uh, which is a lot of beer. Yeah. Um, it's <clears throat> like, that's profit down the drain. Mm-hmm. 
which is why we've seen a lot of people move to extracts at the beginning of the boil and stuff Definitely. like that because you're using less. Um, a perk of oils uh, focused on flavor and aroma is being able to use them post-fermentation without any worry of hop creep, which is very interesting to me because hop creep is a relatively new thing that we've discovered um, and have tried to work around. Yeah, hop creep is terrible. We definitely had a batch that, <clears throat> I don't know, like maybe one one of four cans on the tree were uh, pulling a hop creep. Will you uh, just to give a quick overview of what hop creep is? Oh, um, so the yeast are metabolizing, I don't remember which compound, and churning out diacetyl, yep. basically. That's the, the very simple way to put it. Uh, so and that's happening in the fermenter. Um, for some reason, the whatever the yeast is picking up out of the solution it's causing it to kick diacetyl back out because it, you know, like I always say, what's my, my thing? Pretend that the yeast cell has two hands and it's holding two things. It's like, no, I want the third thing, but I only have two hands. So it'll so push it out of the cell yeah. to grab the other thing to pull it into the cell. And, you know, generally that like D rest or the, your diacetyl rest is, is going to make it be like, oh no, I need to take the diacetyl and pull it back into the cell. And then I'm going to drop down and go to sleep. Um, but in this case, whatever they're pulling in, they're pushing out diacetyl and not pulling it back in. Yep. Very simple way. Sorry. It's very, well, no, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what we needed. Um, and then uh, the final thing, so like using oils, we can, we can prevent that. Um, and then the fourth thing is we can extend the shelf life of hop-forward beers. In beers with oils added, the measured staling um, aldehydes or bound uh, aldehydes uh, might be released over time, causing the stale age flavor in a beer. Uh, we're in lower concentration. So uh, using, using a percentage of oils uh, prevents the, uh, like the production of these aldehydes, which is really interesting. And so using that, like you can extend the shelf life of your hoppy beers, which is much shorter because the, like, your flavor compounds and stuff are extremely volatile. Well, and by, by volatile, what do we mean? I mean, it's, it's going to, it wants to jump out of the solution. Yep. It wants, it to, wants, it wants to leave. Mm -hmm. It so wants to break down over time. It wants to not be there anymore. And so if we're talking about like keg hopping or, um, you know, trying to keep these things in the solution, um, you know, when you're dry hopping, if it's possible, um, dry hop it and then cool it and have it under pressure the entire time because, you know, our beer isn't getting... Well, it is getting less hoppy, but what's happening is that the the you know these oils are they're like diffusing into the headspace, mm -hmm. and so they're they're not in they're in, not in they're the beer no in the beer. they're up in the headspace, yeah. or they're changing and oxidizing depending on what your DOO levels are and right. And so if you are a you know a home brewer that that um, keg hops or uh, hops in a serving tank, for example. Um, keep it in a, do you use the bag method? Keep it in the bag. You'll have more contact time. It won't diffuse up into it because it won't even reach the surface area because it's sitting in a bag submerged. So yeah. anyway, moving on. All right. Um, so we have a few concerns with using hop oils. Mm -hmm. Um, one, uh, like the number one is, um, hop extracts need to be emulsified in order to mix evenly into beer. On their own, hop oils, when added to beer, would likely float to the surface. Like, uh, uh, shoot, think, I think just like, said that, sorry. <laughs> well, well, no, no, but think, think like, like an oil slick. Yeah. 
right? Uh, you were talking about hot matter. Yeah, that's true. Um, versus oils. Uh, because of this, a carrying agent is needed to mix with the oils to make them soluble in the beer, which means they can mix thoroughly through there. Two common carriers are propylene glycol, uh, food-safe propylene glycol. Yeah, this is still kind of sketchy. Very but... sketch. Um, in a 1 to 100 ra- uh, ratio or ethanol in a 1 to 10 ratio. For example, if you want to add a total of 5 ppm of pure hop oil to your beer, you would also be adding about 100 times that amount or 500 ppm of propylene glycol, which is still a very small percentage when you take into account. But at the same time, eh. It's food safe. <laughs> right? But you're still ingesting mm-hmm. a fair amount of it, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that, that's that's a concern. Um, yep. And adding ethanol directly to the beer is, I believe, illegal. Very definitely. You can't, <clears throat> in a commercial brewery, like, I, you, can, you can soak. You, you can't take a bottle of bourbon and dump it into a, a, a beer, and yep. say this is bourbon barrel age or whatever. Like not not because you're making that up, but just because yeah, you can't. You're an alcohol producing facility, but you can't add alcohol to your alcohol. You, you, you can't you can't fortify your beers, <laughs> right? Um, that's that's a completely different thing. It's yeah, yeah. So like so the ethanol one is pretty much off the table. Yes. For, for commercial, yes. Um, though I, I do wonder about, so do you have to worry about like the extracts that you're using if they're ethanol-based? Not that I know of. Okay. So I, 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 I think the percentage the is so small that. I wonder if this would fall into the same category then. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see. Um, but all right, so besides the use of a character carrier, the other concern is what hop-derived oils are being extracted because of their new soluble state. So I have a quote here from Spencer uh, Tielkemeyer from Yakima Chief. Um, the use of an emulsifier typically means that by making the oil soluble, um, you typically make Everything soluble. That means oil fractions that would normally be gassed off or removed during a typical brewing process, i.e. hydrocarbons like myrcene and karyophylline, are now fully soluble and present themselves in the finished product. The end result is often a beer that shows interesting hop aroma, but it is absolutely dominated by the less pleasant woody and vegetal aromas from the hydrocarbons. Right. So let's pause here. I don't know if we're going to get into hydrocarbons, but hydrocarbons, they don't want to be in the solution anyway. Nope. And so any chance they get to jump out, you know, that, you know, and, and if you think about hydrocarbons, these are the, is it oxidated? Um, I have, I have it. Uh, well, so hydrocarbons are, so you have hydrocarbons, oxygen containing compounds, sulfur containing compounds. Uh, say something for a second and I'll pull out. The book. Yeah, pull that book out. But yeah, what, what I was thinking is that with these hydrocarbons, they, again, don't want to be in the solution and the more oxidated uh, characters are volatile enough where they want to go away. But if you, I think what we're saying here is that if you keep it in there, then the more aged uh, compounds that pop out like woody, vegetal, stuff like that on your nobles um, are, are going to be present. Um, so most other desirable aromas are masked by the sheer quantity of these hydrocarbons. And so it's you know we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot is what it seems like so beers produced in you know like this they kind of taste similar to chewing on a raw hot pellet which is not really what we want <laughs> so oh, there it is 
Oh yeah, that little that little chart. Yeah. So like you were talking about hydrocarbons make up about forty to eighty percent um, of the uh, total essential oils. The super voluble. You got sesquiterpenes, monoterpenes. Talk about like farnesine, humulene, mercine, pinene, uh, alpha and beta pinene. That's two different things. Um, so your spicy, spicy herbal, things like that. Oxygen containing compounds make up about 30%. And these are our like linalool, geraniols, humulinol, farnesol, things like that. Uh, any kind of ketones, esters. And that's what I was talking about in the last episode is that, yes, you will get these esters in there. And we do... In a lot of the beers now, what do we want? We want fruity. Yep. So we want esters. We want oxygen-containing compounds. Yep. So uh, to finish out this uh, this quote quick, um, and yeah, uh, most other desirable aromas are masked by the sheer quantity of hydrocarbons. Beers produced in this manner often taste similar to chewing on a raw hot, hot pellet. Oh. Interesting, but not exactly not pleasant. What we want. So, um, and Yakima Chief, they are, they're, they're fairly on the cutting edge of their, of hop science. Like they're, Very they're definitely. like, they're, they're pushing cryo hops and stuff like that. So, uh, and even like N2 hops. So they, they know, Spencer knows what he's talking about. Um, so that brings us to like, what, what are we looking at? What, what's being extracted during a dry hop? In order to use these oils properly, we have to look at that. And in a traditional dry hop, your extraction efficiencies of the hop are extremely low. So, um, linalool um, is 40, uh, 46% extracted into the, into the beer. 16% is retained by the hop matter. The other is gassed off. The remaining is gassed off. Uh, gerianol, ger, geranial, geranial, geranial uh, 43% into the beer. 24% remained, uh, retained by the hot matter. The rest, gassed off. Mercine, um, this is where things get interesting. About 0.05% of mercine is extracted into the beer. Jeez. Right? Um, and 52% is retained by the hot matter. That's crazy. Right? It's such a small... And same thing with alpha humulin, uh, alpha alpha humulene, um, less than 1%. And so this is why they're trying to isolate this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because, and, and, <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, so mercine extraction is slightly higher in hazy IPAs, um, looking at 1.4 ppm versus about 3 or 0.3 ppm in West Coast IPAs, which is wow. interesting in and of itself. Mm. We talked a little bit about that during the hot book. But it's usually not causing an incredibly resinous or green and green result. So myrcene is where we get like it's it's that resin character. You know, what did I say off mic? I said there's there's a lot of stuff to there's a lot of new stuff for such an old yeah for such an old old thing like thing. new thing or old old like I guess old. I mean, whatever. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't know about yeast until 1879. Now, 240 years later or whatever, it's, you know, um, we're, we're really digging into, the, you know, how these, these hop yep. oils are working and the, the extraction. Yep. Um, and so using hop oils, you, you could see almost 100% of the mercine being extracted into the beer instead of 0.05%. That's resulting in an incredibly amazing. resinous and green beer. 
Interesting. Um, green, we mean like vegetal character. But, yeah. Um, so uh, Janice then, go, then goes into the theory about solubility maximums, which is 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 a real thing, but we don't really know how it's going to react with these oils in the beer, like about over-oiling the beer. And uh, the theory behind solubility maximum is basically at a certain point, your solution is saturated, right? So you're hitting saturation point with these, um, with these oils, and the beer can literally take no more. Um, and so if you over add oils will they just slick off the top and not be an issue well and a lot of it's all theory we're not going to dig too much into that right now right what i want to talk about is the sensory experience of these different hop oil classes so the classes that we're talking about are hydrocarbons oxygenating compounds sulfur containing compounds basically what brian read a few minutes ago yeah i got ahead as usual well no it's, <laughs> no but i mean we needed to i just really i mean like the, the rest of the book is great, but like this this little chart in the beginning of it's the, invaluable. the new IPA is... It's like, what, 15 pages in or something? Twenty. Well, I mean, most of this is like acknowledgments right. and blah bitty blah bitty. But as the book begins, it's, you know, it's on page 26, which is about four or five yep. pages into the book. So um, He also has a recreation of that chart um, on this article yeah. because it's... Uh, it's incredibly important. So there was a study that used magnum hop oil and separated out uh, fractions of oils for sensory tests on beer. So basically, they uh, they separated out the the sesquiterpenes, terpene alcohols, humulene epoxides, and monoterpene alcohols, uh, sesquiterpene alcohols, humulol plus uh, hu humulenol uh, to linalool. Uh, Geraniol and carophylline oxide. Carophylline oxide. Yes. Um, and separated all of these out of the oil into their own oil compounds. And then dosed beers and performed sensory tests on them. What was interesting was overall for uh, aroma and flavor intensity, um, it wasn't linalool like you would think. It was uh, geraniol and terpene alcohols. Lowest were carophylline oxides and humulene epoxides. Because um, we think we think of linalool as like the hop compound, right? Like that gives you that like like floral and the, fruity, yep, <coughs> citrus. But it has the least effect on aroma, flavor, intensity. Well, not the least, but like it doesn't affect it nearly mm -hmm. as much as you would think. Um, the uh, geraniol and terpene alcohol also increase the perceived sweetness intensity of the That's beer. really interesting. I mean, and then if you say you're pairing that with, you know, like a West Coast IPA that has maybe a little bit of car caramel caramel that... It's really going to amplify that. A lot. Um, and then harsh bitterness... Uh, that's the squesc uh, sesquiterpenes. Um, other compounds to increase uh, harshness were alpha humulene. Um, I don't know what that symbol is. Um, Which, uh, beta? Uh, no, it's the o omega. Oh, cadenes. I don't uh, beta beta carophylline, uh, sure. beta mercine, and carophylline oxide, and the combination of compounds could drive the bitterness sensation. Um, 
Well, these are geraniol herbal, added a smooth, though, for sesquiterpene-like alcohol, oxygen-containing. Yep. Well, but they found if you pull these out and increase them, you get more of a harsh bitterness flavor or sensation. Interesting, which is kind of hindsight, like, duh, for Magnum. Right. You know, if that's what they're pulling apart yep. here. And that's exactly what they're pulling apart. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get more of a smooth bitterness if you increase uh, geraniol. Um, and then humulene uh, increases astringency. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, again, the sesquiterpene. So. Yeah. Huh. Um, and so in the, in the next, uh, this kind of brings us to the end of this one. Um, but in the next, uh, in the next bit, we're going to, or in the next episode, we'll talk about how they're using these oils, how they've found, like being able to fraction these out, they're starting to make... Um, for lack of a better word, designer hop compounds, wow. which is very interesting, incredible. It's going to change the game. It is. If they, like, I, I still well, think. Well, let's see how the cost effective, effectiveness the, works, the effectiveness, unfortunately. Um, and also, like, the cutting with propylene glycol is worrying to me. It is. It is. I mean, you know, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, a few final points that he tacks on at the end of the article that I think uh, will work here. Um, Post-fermentation oils uh, can offer a last-minute hop burst without the risk of hop creep, which is – that's I mean, that's a big plus. That's I huge. I didn't know squat about hop creep until it happened. And then you were confused. Yeah. You're like, what the hell happened? That was such a good beer, too. Um, and then typically, uh, hop oils are emulsified with 100 times the weight of the oil with propylene glycol, which concern. Um, hop oils may extend the shelf life of hoppy beers by reducing the amounts of staling at uh, aldehydes. Um, during a dry hop with T90 pellets, very little of the hydrocarbon, like myrcene, is retained, but the emulsified oils will likely be retained at a much higher concentration with hop oils. So that's something that we definitely need to keep in mind. Yeah. Again, that verses into the, uh, where is it going? It's going in the headspace, and then you open the can, and then poof, it's gone. It's yeah. the same thing kind of almost but that's, with sulfur compounds. But if you have it emulsified in this oil, mm -hmm. it's no longer going into the headspace. Exactly. It's now in the in in the beer itself, which mm -hmm. is, yeah. I'm um, awesome. looking at hop oil <laughs> fractions. Monotropine alcohols uh, increased the perceived sweetness, had a smooth bitterness, and were and was perceived as fruity, orange fruit, grapefruit, and lemon. In contrast, uh, sesquiterpene, a fraction of hop oil, was associated with harsh bitterness and astringency. Um, which, knowing that, we can chemically alter different things. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more on the next episode. Uh, hop variety-specific hop oils uh, made to mimic the overall oil profile of the source hop would likely come across more resinous, green, and astringent compared to normal dry hopping thanks to higher retention of compounds like alpha-humulene, um, omega-ketene. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to have to look that one up, the omega I, I, I'm guessing. It looks like an O, so I was going be. with that. Um, uh, beta carotene, beta myrcene, and carophyllene oxide. Uh, dosing hop oils that mimic the source hop oil makeup might be better used in the kettle or during active fermentation to help scrub the high concentrations of cellulized hydrocarbons. Um, and it makes most sense to experiment with post-fermentation post hop oils in small amounts in a glass and scale it up to dose the batch. Too little, and it seems like you don't get much of an impact too much, and it can be detrimental. So, like we talk about with tinctures. Sure. Slowly do that and then scale up. And then scale up, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's not always linear. No, it is not. Interesting, too, is that being that marijuana or THC or whatever is 
the marijuana plant is a cousin to um, hops. Like a lot of this can be applied directly to that too. So if we're ever if we ever talk about cannabis and beer, that's this is another whole mm-hmm. thing that is being worked on also in tandem. That said, it's all federally illegal, so it's it's kind of theoretical lab testing and very moot at the moment. Yeah. But stay tuned. All Ugh. right. Well, um, guys, I know that was a dense episode. I really hope you liked it. I I like I kind of missed some of the research aspect of it. Like we have a, we have a few other research things that uh, Bjorn sent us. And if we'll other get things- into it. And you know, like always, we appreciate Bjorn. Um, he pushes us. And he like really it. does. And you guys can do that too. And send yeah, us messages. Send us, uh, send us some email at feedback at blindnerdstudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnerdstudios. Follow us on Twitter at blindnerdscoreninja. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace.